Have you heard? 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 Welcome to Have You Heard. I'm Jennifer Berkshire. And I'm Jack Schneider. And I guess I'm reporting from afar, even though you're actually on the ground there. (laughs) Well, discerning listeners will note that you and I are not in the same place. And that's because I am reporting live from America's Dairyland. (laughs) And you're doing so with all of the uh, dairy-based remunerative benefits. I would assume, and hopefully you'll be bringing some back to Massachusetts. They call it cheddar for a reason. <laughs> so, Jack, it it can be kind of hard to remember. We're in this moment where, you know, suddenly teachers who are banding together and demanding higher pay are viewed as, as heroes and heroines, but it wasn't that long ago that they were actually being blamed for causing the Great Recession. Yeah, teachers uh, have... Uh, been called a rapacious special interest by conservatives uh, who have been uh, after teachers, particularly around uh, their inflated pay and benefit packages, which are uh, a burden to taxpayers, or so say those who would like teachers to be working hourly wages as easily fired at will employees. Well, I thought that in this season of, you know, sort of teacher uprising that's sweeping across the land, it would be really interesting to go to Wisconsin, which was really the state that kicked off our current era of sort of scorched earth state politics. I wanted to talk to people about the continued impact of Act 10, but also find out whether Wisconsin is showing any signs of the sort of rebellions that we're seeing play out in other states. Well, I feel like a listener now, Jennifer, because uh, I'm not there with you. So I would appreciate at least being updated on whatever you've found out while you've been there. Well, I would suggest that you listen to the episode that is about to play. But also, Jack, I had a great (laughs) idea while I was on my trip. I think both of us should go on the next Have You Heard Hits the Road tour. That's perfect, as long as it's uh, in Alaska. Uh, where I am scheduled to be, uh, then, then I'm happy to travel. It's been almost a decade since Act 10 was passed in Wisconsin. That was the infamous budget repair bill that Governor Scott Walker and Republican legislators passed in 2011 that basically eliminated collective bargaining for teachers and other public employees in Wisconsin. And what can be hard to imagine now in this moment when suddenly teachers who band together and demand things like higher pay are being celebrated is that back in 2011 and 2012, the debate over Act 10 really cast teachers as the enemy. I met a retired teacher named Carol Lenz, and she described to me feeling like she was viewed with suspicion by everyone around her, even the people she went to church with. I retired right after Act 10. It's not the reason I retired, but it it was already in the works. Um, So it was just disheartening to me during that whole process. I remember the messaging that was coming out of the out of Madison, out of the state capitol, and how teachers felt so under attack. And 
I remember going to church one Sunday and feeling like everybody was looking at me as the enemy. And I knew the people there loved me, but I just felt like that. I felt different and that I was responsible for the ills of the world. I heard stories like that from many of the teachers I talked to, and the same word kept popping up, scarred. Doug Perry is a retired teacher from South Milwaukee, and he serves on the school board there. It, it definitely scarred the state. No scars remain. And uh, I can just tell you personally, in my wife's case, her it, it, it put a wedge between she and her family. Um, they, they started posting things on Facebook and saying things to her about her career. And my wife is also a teacher about her career and um, uh, her uh, being a public employee and a very nasty stuff. I mean, so it, it separated friends, it separated families and those separations, those uh, segregations continue to this day. And there's this, uh, feeling of public employees being, because this was not only teachers, this was this was municipal employees too, um, and corrections workers and things like that. So it put this wedge between people. Uh, and I will say to this day that this was a policy, as it turns out, it was a policy to to reduce public funding is what it really was. And and by by controlling WEAC, which is our local, our, our statewide associate teachers association, we no longer could lobby for kids. Like we had lobbied for kids forever and it caused um, in a later bill, uh, $1.6 billion being cut from education. And really that's what this was all about. It was about the privatization of, of schools and they, it, we were in a way and that's pretty much what's happened since Act 10 was enacted. Union membership cratered, and with it, political influence. In fact, as of last year, the once powerful teachers union no longer had a lobbyist at the state house. But the story here is more complicated than just Scott Walker crushes unions. As I learned in my travels, public education has emerged as a potent political issue, just like it has in states like West Virginia, Oklahoma, and Arizona. There was a poll done this spring that found that public opinion in Wisconsin has shifted dramatically over the past few years. A resounding majority of voters now think that investing in public schools is more important than cutting taxes. So what happened to cause that shift? We need an expert to help us here, someone who can translate the state's complicated system of funding its schools into terms that anyone can understand. All right. Well, thank you for the opportunity to put the fun in school funding. That's like my new full-time job in this state, and it's a job that... Um, I neither relish nor appreciate, but has somehow become like my mandate from the state because there's not anyone else who's really translating what's happening at the state level into terms that parents and communities can understand. And so our, what our group tries to do is take these kind of complicated state funding issues and make them make sense to regular folks. So let's start with revenue caps. That's Heather Dubois-Boronon. She's the head of the Wisconsin Public Education Network and was also my tour guide. Heather, how many miles do you think we drove? I 
don't know. I, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. I know I filled up on gas four times. Back to revenue caps. So in 1993, in response to anti-property tax fever that was sweeping the state, Wisconsin imposed limits on what each community could spend to fund its schools based on a figure that the communities themselves came up with. And so districts, boards went to work and they decided, well, you know, I guess we could get by with $8,000 a kid. And in another district, they said, well, you know, we're we're closer to 11 or we're closer to 12. And some districts were like, we can't spend a dollar less than 18000 And so they wrote those numbers down and they sent them into the Capitol and they were stamped into law. And we've been operating under those revenue caps ever since. And so that's the amount that the estate the state allows your district to spend per pupil. That means that there are huge disparities between what school districts in Wisconsin spend. Take, for example, Oak Creek, which is in the southeastern part of the state. Here's school board member Leah Schreiber-Johnson. So what that means is that our district gets much less per pupil from taxes than many of our surrounding communities. And it puts us in kind of a competition situation because we have this big community and our school is um, really running very efficiently. I mean, it's a great, I'm, I'm always impressed with what we are able to do with our low revenue um, compared to our neighboring school districts. The school district just next door to us spends something like two or 3,000 more per kid than we do. And I'm, of course, you're going to have like better facilities. You're going to have more activities. You're going to have all these things because of that huge um, difference in what you can spend per student. So part one of our tour through Wisconsin school finance was revenue caps. Part two, spending cuts. We think about Act 10 as a law that went after teachers' unions, but it also contained deep cuts to school spending. Here's Heather Dubois-Boronon again. People were shocked to see that it included not just the suspension of collective bargaining rights for our educators and all other public employees, but a $1.6 billion cut to public education over the two-year biennium. And as a parent who had been volunteering in the schools and seeing what the needs were, and as somebody who was at the time working at the university and some K-12 outreach programs and had already seen the vast disparities between have and have not districts around the state, I was shocked and thinking, like, what... How are districts going to absorb this? Like, what what is this going to mean at the local level? And I think that that kind of, like, how... Why would anyone do this to us? Like, how could you do this to kids? Like, that outrage still drives me to this day. (laughs) And, like, the sad, sad story of Wisconsin is that we have been continuing through local-level organizing and by voting to raise taxes on ourselves to make up the difference between what our schools need and what the state will provide. We have been, all of this time, just, like, resisting, resisting, resisting these continued assaults on our public schools and trying as hard as we can to whomever will listen to send the message. You are not going to do this on our watch. You are not going to do this to our kids. We have plenty of money to pay for our schools, and we demand nothing less than equal opportunity for success for every single kid in this state. 
she's talking about property tax referenda. That's when a local school district says to voters, we need more money for the schools. And these days, that applies to almost every school district in Wisconsin. Increasingly, communities are having to ask voters to tax themselves just to operate the schools, to which voters are saying, yes. This spring, for example, 65 referenda went before voters and 55 of them passed. Okay, you are now officially an expert on school finance in Wisconsin. You understand revenue caps and spending cuts and how the combination of the two has led to an explosion of local property tax referenda. But there's still one more piece of the puzzle, vouchers. Heather? One thing that a lot of people don't know about Wisconsin vouchers, and Wisconsin was the birthplace of a state-mandated voucher program in Milwaukee, is that when the vouchers were expanded statewide, it was done through a midnight maneuver in a budget adjustment. Vouchers have never been subject to an up-down vote in this state, neither for Milwaukee or any other part of the state. A couple years later, after the statewide expansion, we saw the inclusion of special needs vouchers. And now we're in a position where even at the same moment as our schools are being chronically underfunded, facing dire teacher shortages, crises of every sort of fiscal nature... We've expanded this voucher program to the tune of $274 plus million a year. And that money is coming out of the same bag that the public school money comes from off the top before anyone else is funded. And it's simply not fair. Meanwhile, the public schools are still providing busing services for private schools in their communities, all of the special education services for students at the private schools. And the cost is just unsustainably high. When you talk to people in Wisconsin about what's happened to their state during the Walker years, they'll often use the expression divide and conquer. Now, that's a reference to something Walker got caught on tape telling a wealthy donor about his plans to drive a wedge between public and private sector unions. But it could really refer to almost any of the divisions in this polarized state. Rural versus urban, red versus blue, white versus black. The irony of Act 10 and the policies that followed it is that everybody now seems to be mad about the same things. Take Wisconsin's severe teacher shortage. Rural districts have been especially hard hit, but they're not the only ones. Remember Carol Lenz, who was convinced that everyone in her church viewed her as the enemy during the Act 10 debate? When she retired in 2011, people lined up for the prospect of being the new band director at her school in the Fox River Valley. There were over 120 applicants for my position, and I got to go through them, which was kind of a fun thing. Um, But now, two years ago, there was another position open in my school district uh, for a band director. Again, there were only six applicants for that job. So we, we've we lost a lot. Or take vouchers. By expanding Wisconsin's private school voucher program statewide and shifting the burden of paying for it onto local communities, Scott Walker and the legislature have made so-called voucher transparency a cause from cities like Racine to remote rural regions like Superior. 
My name is Christina Kintop, and I am a school board member from Superior, Wisconsin. I am the vice president of the board for the last several years. And for those that may not know, Superior is located in the very northern part of the state, the very tip of Lake Superior, probably the one of the most beautiful areas around. I am a little biased. When I talk about the transparency bill, as an elected official on a school board, one of the things I feel very strongly about is that we should be transparent. We should be. We need to be transparent in our money. Um, and our funds and what we do. How can that not be at a state level? If we are taking taxpayer dollars and funneling them to private schools, which fill a need in many communities, so why aren't they having to play by the same rules that the public schools have to play by? In Racine, which is as far from superior as you can get and still be in Wisconsin, the Racine Education Association is rallying local voters from both parties around the very same issue. Here's union president Angelina Cruz. It's sort of um, a a unifying (laughs) topic. Um, People care very much about what their property taxes are being spent spent to fund in the community. Um, When the voucher program started initially, the state footed the bill for um, the vouchers. And so since then, it's the cost is transferred to the local property taxpayers. Um, So it was done in sort of this not very evident, sort of nefarious way. Um, uh, The the burden, the cost burden has shifted onto the the shoulders of the um, local taxpayers without any any say in what has happened. Wisconsin hasn't seen teacher protests like in Arizona or Oklahoma, but there is something else that the states have in common. Wisconsin's divestment from its public schools and the students who attend them is spurring teachers and other candidates who care about education to run for office. You met one of them in this podcast already. Leah Schreiber-Johnson, who is now on the school board in Oak Creek, ran for office last year after having something of an epiphany. What happened was I realized that in order that my interest in politics, my desire to follow politics closely was not actually doing anything. It was just me kind of obsessively listening. And I realized that the only way that things were going to go the way I hoped they would go is if people like me actually decided that action was vital. And so I started from the bottom. I said, okay, well, what do I do? Like, how do I get going on this? And my first choice was to start attending local civic meetings, right? Like, went to the common council meetings, went to the school board meetings, went to listening town halls that were held by our local representatives. And really quickly, people were telling me about other opportunities to really get involved. And um, I was introduced to a program called Emerge, which is a nationwide training for women who are interested in running for office, specifically Democratic women. So I um, applied (laughs) and um, did um, have the wonderful opportunity to go through Emerge Wisconsin's programming. They had a special class in 2017 because they had such a surge in interest from women wanting to run for office that they had to 
double their offerings. Um, so I was part of a group of 25 women from Wisconsin that um, were interested in running in the spring elections. At that time, I actually wasn't positive what I was going to run for. I just knew that I needed to do something. Marcelia Nicholson had a very similar thought after she got laid off from her teaching position in the Milwaukee public schools for the second time due to budget cuts. She decided to run for Milwaukee County Supervisor. She won, and now she's encouraging her friends to run for local office, too. I was a product of Milwaukee public schools, or am a product of Milwaukee public schools, and I had great teachers that um, nurtured me. And so I became a teacher. Um, I wanted to pay it forward. And when I got into the classroom, I learned that my students were dealing with uh, worse than I had as a child growing up in the 53206 zip code. Um, and what it did was encourage me to get more involved, to learn uh, why they were so uh, disenfranchised, why our schools were underfunded. And I learned that it was political and that it was a problem that had been colorized in our city and um, our students were being used to um, divide um, our state. And so um, I got more involved. I got more engaged in the community. Um, I started showing up at rallies and protests and speaking up. And then it eventually led to me running for office. And as a legislator, I'm able to create policies that directly impact uh, my students and their parents uh, for the better. I asked Nicholson if she thinks that concern over what's happening to Wisconsin's public schools could bridge the state's deep political and racial divide and maybe even shake up the political map here. I absolutely agree in that race has been used to divide the state. Um, public education is important to people everywhere. Um, but unfortunately, Milwaukee is often targeted and used as an example of a problem. And so it leads people to think that, okay, if we cut education, then only Milwaukee will be impacted. Um, they later find that they're also impacted by those same cuts. Um, I think the way we get around that is to I think continue on the route that we are now. I know it's a little late, but you mentioned, you know, people are starting to be more engaged and aware. People who weren't even ordinarily uh, aware of these issues in the past. And I think it's provided a platform for people like me to step up and run for these offices. And I think it's going to take more people like me, public school teachers, uh, parents, stay-at-home moms, uh, to step up and do the things that need to be done for the people that they are and that we are. And then there's this guy. I've spent my entire life. I can see what people need. I could do so much more, and I will do so much more, taking my voice, taking our voice, and what we need to Washington, D.C. I decided to run for office because not everybody's seated at the table, and it's time to make a bigger table. That's Randy Bryce, better known as Iron Stash. He's running for the seat that GOP Representative Paul Ryan is leaving. I ran into Randy at a meetup of local public education advocates, and I asked him to talk about the surge of grassroots activism that has bubbled up in Wisconsin in the wake of Act 10. Here's what he said. So there was that feeling of helplessness, especially after we were able to get, you know, like close to a million signatures for the recall and, and have this historic event. Um, we weren't successful during for the recall, but you're seeing, I mean, like the group today that has that was forged out of that, that's now being just a fantastic advocacy group for public education. And this is this is one of the the areas that's that's taking off. But there have been other people that have gotten a lot, you know, very involved too with whatever their issues are. Mine have been labor issues and veteran issues. Um, 
but just seeing this take off and it, it got to the point even you know like looking back in in 2011 2012 when all this happened and, and just that feeling of of we can't we can't win we don't have any power but still not you know and people ask they're like why do you still take off of work and go testify in Madison you know how they're going to vote we have and I was like we need more people to do that no matter what we think the outcome's probably going to be because when we stop going and doing that and they don't hear our voices they're going to think what they're doing is okay Bryce has gotten a lot of attention. In fact, his campaign to repeal and replace Paul Ryan, as he puts it, has attracted almost $5 million, mostly from small donors. But what you might not know about Bryce is that part of what motivated him to run for office was seeing the impact of cuts to education funding in his son's school district. His son, who started school early, required extra help to catch up with the other kids, and he got it, until Walker's budget cuts went into effect. During that time, Scott Walker was elected governor, and the first thing he did, almost a billion dollars in, in cuts to public education. And my son had, um, because he was so young, he wasn't as advanced as far as like being able to read. Um, his handwriting needed extra work. But working with the teachers, he, you know, and he had, there was Title I, so he had special one-on-one -on -one help that kept him where he needed to be from falling behind. Um, but those cuts, once they took place, it, it ended up closing down his summer school. So his summer slide, his summer slide was was pretty drastic. You know, he did okay the the one year, but then when he came back and they tested him at the beginning of the next year, he needed a lot of help. Um, they also closed a school in his district because of the budget cuts, so that the students were dispersed throughout the district. Um, several went to the school he went to and their scores, some of the student scores were lower than his. So he got bumped out of the Title I program. And um, the only way to keep him from being held back was to talk to the teacher and get help directly from the teacher. How can I, so she gave me some websites, some advice, you know, books to, that I could find that were on his reading level and just told me, you know, make sure he reads so much per day and, and does these kinds of activities. Um, so I did that and it was working with the, with the teacher um, that he was able to finish up that school year with a B in reading, which he was just, you know, and I told the story at a school board meeting too, when, when I was asked, because I've, I've gotten to, um, have a fantastic relationship with the racing educators. And, um, I mean, I owe them for, for where my son is today with, you know, being able to get by and, and where he's going to go in his future. Now he wants to be, first he wanted to be an iron worker for a while. And then I was like, well, if you do, that's great. But so now he wants to be a, a lawyer and he wants to have long hair. So it's like, there's nothing wrong with being a long haired lawyer, you know, probably hopefully you'll do something for like a, a pro worker union or environmental or, or something like that. But whatever it is, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to be proud of you because he's, he's, you know, a good hearted kid. A big thank you to everyone in Wisconsin who talked to me for this episode and patiently answered all of my questions. And if you would like to hear more of my interview with Iron Stash, it is available on our Patreon page. All you have to do is go to www.patreon.com backslash have you heard podcast and become one of our supporters. Your contribution will help us keep the podcast going and allow us to take the show on the road again to Arizona, North Carolina, who knows where we'll go next. Until next time, I'm Jennifer Berkshire, and what's the name of Wisconsin's favorite podcast? Have you heard, of course. 